So we can see CCS that it provides a bridge between the reality we are still having right now and certainly the need for urgent emission reduction. That is Meshtild Vorsdorfer. She has spent nearly 10 years in the European Commission working on energy. This is Net Zero, a podcast by the Florence School of Regulation about the energy transition and climate change. I am Joana Freitas, and in this series, I'm inviting myself into the minds of some truly insightful people with very different perspectives. Today, we are joined by Mechtild Vorsdorfer, Director for Sustainability Technology and Outlooks at the International Energy Agency to discuss the role of carbon capture, utilization and storage in the energy transition. Mechtild, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Tarana. Happy to be there. There is now a broad consensus that carbon capture, utilization and storage solutions will be needed to address the decarbonization challenge and meet the Paris Agreement targets. Could you start by giving us a broad perspective of the mechanisms and technologies behind CCUS? Carbon capture, utilization and storage, or CCUS, is overall an important emission reduction technology and we have applications both in the industrial sector and in power generation. One important point here is it can be retrofitted to existing facilities. So the CCUS technology can also provide the foundation for carbon removal or what we call negative emissions when the CO2 comes from bio-based processes or directly can be captured from the air, from the atmosphere. We in the IEA and the International Energy Agency see this technology as very critical for a successful energy transition. And indeed, without it, we don't see that we can meet our ambitious climate goals. Let me briefly explain C, C, U and S. So the CAM capture from fuel combustion or industrial processes, the transport of CO2 via ship or pipeline, or it can be used as a resource to create valuable products or services. And the final S for storage is to put it deep in underground in geological formations. So CCS as such is not new. There had been CO2 separation or capture in many industrial processes, such as production of fertilizers from ammonia. Also, the oil and gas industries has been injecting CO2 into reservoirs to promote enhanced oil recovery since the 70s. And one last example, Norway, which is one of the leading countries on CCOS, it has started more than 20 years ago with a project to store around a million tons of CO2 each year in geological formations deep under the North Sea. You touched there on uh, the role of the industrial sector. Now, according to the IEA, today industry accounts for almost 25% of CO2 emissions and 40% of the global energy demand. And going forward, there's an expectation that with more economic growth, urbanization, particularly in, in, in developing countries, this will drive up demand for materials like cement, steel and, and chemicals. Could you talk us more about what role the CCUS can play in, in particular in the industrial sector? I mean, we are all working and hearing that more and more on the net zero goals for 2050. Europe has been one of the front runners, but overall, I was in New York for the Climate Action Summit. 
there is this objective to go to net zero. That means we need to address emissions across the entire economy, including what we call the harder to abate sectors, such as cement, steel, and chemicals production. Today, CCUS is the only known technology to be able to put these sectors on a pathways to these net zero emissions. In some industrial applications, CCUS provides a competitive and relatively low cost option for significant emissions reductions. That in particular in processes that produce a relatively pure stream of CO2 or where CO2 has been already separated. Let me give an example. That is the processing of natural gas or the production of bioethanol and hydrogen. But you have mentioned the sectors as cement, steel, and chemicals, one of the most energy-intensive sectors. And they are particularly challenging to decarbonize for mainly three reasons. In these industry sectors, it is required a very high temperature heat. And to achieve this high temperature, there are very few mature alternatives to direct use of fossil fuels. So only coal and gas basically can succeed in having this high temperature. Secondly, these production facilities for energy intensives like cement are long-lived, up to 50 years. So we have a potential lock-in effect for emissions from these facilities. We cannot change it overnight. And third, almost one quarter of all industrial emissions are process emissions. So they are inherent to the process in the production and not the result of combustion of fossil fuels. So we cannot kind of provide fuel switching there. And that is particularly an issue for cement production, where almost two thirds of the emissions are process related. So globally, process emissions are almost double all CO2 emissions from domestic and international aviation. So it's a huge, huge factor. And that's why the IEA came out with a report rather recently on CCUS and its application in industry. And we really think that CCUS can address these abatement challenges for industry, either by retrofitting the existing facilities or by otherwise by avoiding it in uh, using CCUS. Another technology which is known and where we have been working on is hydrogen. But we see CCUS can play also a role in hydrogen. Currently, the cheapest way to produce clean hydrogen is through natural gas with CCS. Hydrogen nowadays, it's 90% by gas and uh, coal and only very little by so-called renewables hydrogen or green hydrogen. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. I'd like to turn now to power generation. Given the very substantial declines that we have been seeing in the costs of renewable energy technologies, do you still see a role for CCUS in power generation? Yes. I mean, we see a clear trend for more renewable energy technology, energy efficiency in the energy transition. But we also see a role for CCUS to address one of the defining battles in our climate change, which are the 10 billion tons of CO2 emitted globally in our coal fleet. This is almost one third of global energy related CO2 emissions. And when we speak about coal, there are two different directions. In Europe and US, coal power plants are declining. There's a phase out of coal in many European countries. 
and in the US. But on the other side, in Asia, and in particular in China and India, most of the coal plants are only 12 years old on average. So they are extremely young and they could operate for decades. And they're still planning on building more as far as I There are plans to build more, but even if we wouldn't build more coal plants, there are the existing ones. So we have to Mm -hmm. think about economically, socially, environmentally, Mm -hmm. what we can do with those. And one of the options here is to retrofit them and put also CCOS on the existing one to cut the emissions and store it. And that can also contribute for those regions to support energy security because we have a fuel diversity here with uh, domestic coal power plants if they are retrofit or the older ones obviously uh, would go for a phase out. So it's interesting to hear all these different important roles that CCUS can have. But it's I think perhaps you, you would agree that in Europe in particular, the CCUS uh, trajectory has had some setbacks. For example, in 2015, uh, the UK government cancelled a 1 billion competition prize for carbon capture and storage technology just six months before it was due to be awarded. Now there seems to be more attention again focused on CCUS. What is driving this renewed interest? So as I've been working in the European Commission on CCUS Previously, and I joined the IEA uh, now a year ago, I can definitely agree that there is much more interest and momentum in CCS globally, but in particularly also in Europe, as you mentioned. For me, there are three kind of interrelated factors driving that. First, it's absolutely the Paris Agreement, the new net zero ambitions by 2050, the strategy the European Commission has proposed and has been endorsed by the European Council, uh, by most of the EU member states. So this level of ambition requires a significant advancement across all technologies and across all sectors. So including the energy intensive industries and also looking at possibilities for negative emissions technologies. And here, in addition to renewables, energy efficiency, and so on, the CCUS come into place. Secondly, there are also new policy commitments from governments, particularly in some of the European countries and in the US. So the US introduced last year a new tax incentive for CCUS in particular, which is called 45Q, which provides US $50 per ton of CO2 stored and 35 US dollars of CO2 used in enhanced oil recovery. And this we have seen has already triggered three new CCUS projects, large scale, and we expect a new wave of CCUS investment next year in the US. In Europe, we have also seen a new funding program, the Innovation Funds, which could support CCUS investments. And in 2018, there have been plans for six new projects in Europe, which had been announced. That includes industrial hubs, that includes new hydrogen production facilities. And finally, not only from governance, we see also from industry itself some new plans to advance CCUS. And I've been in the recent UN Climate Summit in New York, where, for example, Dalmia Cement, which is a key um, company in India, has announced to capture half a million tons of CO2 each year. 
it's interesting to hear all these new projects coming through and, and in several geographies, but including Europe. What do you think are still the main challenges in focusing in Europe in particular to have a more large-scale rollout of this kind of solutions? Yeah, I think we, we certainly see still some challenges, but also some opportunities. First, I think we need to learn from past experience. There are a lot of money around. We have done an assessment at IEA that uh, there had been globally around 30 billion US dollars announced in public funding between 2009 and 2010, but ultimately only 15% was spent. So we see a few reasons why this money was not spent, even though there are programs both in Europe and globally. First, early programs focused on supporting standalone full chain projects. But what we are seeing right now today, it's more about developing industrial hubs where there is shared infrastructure and business model that separate the transport and storage operations from the capture facilities, and that can reduce costs and project risks. And another uh, lesson we can learn from early programs that they were a little bit too rigid and they had ambitious milestone, but they didn't give the flexibility which is needed for this kind of first-of-a-kind infrastructure projects. So what we need is certainly in our programs a more tailored approach, and I can see that in the discussions, for example, on the Innovation Fund, which is now being released by the European Union. What we also need overall is a stronger investment signal. So I mentioned the US 45Q tax incentive. In Europe, it has been the ETS, the Emission Trading System, where in the past the carbon price signal was quite low, but this has increased. And personally, I think with that increased signal, higher carbon price, investments will be more encouraged also in the CCUS. Another factor, a challenge we are facing in the CO2 and CCUS debate is public acceptance, which in some parts in Europe has been very challenging. Uh, so what we are seeing now, there are new projects which are focusing not on onshore, but on offshore storage, particularly in the North Sea, which has very large storage potential. And there's also a growing interest in opportunity not only to store CO2, but also to use it. So for me, the defining factor, how fast and far CCUS can be scaled up in Europe is the availability of CO2 storage. And as I mentioned before, it needs to be offshore, apparently, for public acceptance reason, but it also needs to have appropriate risk-sharing arrangements between governments and industry to take up. I wanted to mention something. So recently, a group of 13 major oil and gas companies known as the Oil and Gas Climate Initiative said it aims to double the amount of carbon dioxide stored globally by 2030. So this is one of the parts of the CCUS storage. In your view, who are the main industrial players that are interested in investing in this type of solutions? And what can governments do to accelerate their deployment? You mentioned carbon prices as a signal, but what other things can, can governments do? Yes, I think this initiative and commitment from the oil and gas sector to be more active on the climate side, and they had been meeting also at the New York Climate Summit, I think this can only be welcome. I think they play an important role in future CCS deployment as they have a particular expertise. 
Some of those companies who are now investing in CCS have been in the oil and gas sector and have been using CO2 for enhanced oil recovery. But now that CCS cuts across a range of sectors, including power, as explained before, but also steel, cement, chemicals, hydrogen, natural gas, we are seeing some activity, but maybe not enough in all of those sectors. It's not only in the oil and gas sector anymore. So governance can play an important role, in my view, in coordinating these and encouraging these CCS development across these different applications. And I see a particular role when it comes to CO2 transport and storage infrastructure, which can be helpful for multiple sectors. So infrastructure can be seen as a public good, and that can support the at least cost energy transition. So government and industry can make partnership, which can then share risk as appropriate. And we have some good examples, some good models in Norway, but also in the port of Rotterdam, for example, in the Netherlands, where industry and governments are sharing the risks and money, but also invest a lot in common infrastructure for transport and storage of CO2. And as I said, and you mentioned it, an investment signal will be absolutely needed to accelerate these deployments. Another element you mentioned that I wanted to further discuss is public acceptance. There are several environmental organizations that still raise concerns that CCUS technologies could in fact facilitate a prolonged use of fossil fuels. Could you share your thoughts on this? I have certainly some understanding for this concern, and I would like to emphasize here that we don't see CCUS just as a coal technology or a fossil fuel technology. I underlined in the previous replies the broader application in different energy intensive sectors, but also as a foundation for negative emissions. As we speak about net zero, we also allow some emissions to continue under the condition that we get negative emissions. And that can be applied to biomass, air usage or capture of direct air capture. So CCS can play an important role in addressing these emissions. And we still have to be aware that nowadays in the global energy mix, there is still around 80% of fossil fuels. So even though CCS can play a role in different sectors, we still have to look, as I mentioned before, on a relatively young coal plants fleet in China and India, or using gas um, in some of other parts of the world. So we can see CCS that it provides a bridge between the reality we are still having right now and certainly the need for urgent emission reduction. And the IA has done a lot of analysis that we can show how we can use and decarbonize the existing energy infrastructure around the world, which is still a major part of uh, global CO2 emissions and our world energy outlook, which comes out on the 13th of November. So this year's world energy outlook will look at particularly at possibilities for retrofitting, avoid locking in emissions, and also how to come to our climate goals more rapidly and use CCUS. But a final word on that. For us, CCUS does not mean business as usual for fossil fuel use. In our sustainable development scenario in the World Energy Outlook, we clearly see 
a need to decrease coal use in power generation by 75% in 2040. So CCUS can play a role for those regions where it's needed, but overall coal is the biggest emitter as a single source and we need all to work on declining coal use at least 75% in 2040 if we want to go for the net zero. Now to end our interview, uh, I'd like to ask you some rapid fire questions that you can answer with one or two words or take a wild guess. Zero carbon Europe by 2050, myth or reality? For me, achievable, but extremely ambitious. The future of storage, batteries or power to gas? I would say all of the above. What year will see the last internal combustion engine vehicle sold in Europe? I think we need a peak as soon as possible. What will be the percentage of power generated by prosumers in 2050? I hope it will be much higher than today. And the main challenge for utilities in the next decade is to look at their revenue model, to focus more on services, system integration, and another portfolio than now. And our final question, do you believe that the Paris Agreement goal of keeping the increase in global average temperature to well below two degrees, or, in, or indeed at 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels will be attained? And if yes, by what date? I think my answer depends really very much on what can be done now. We need an early peak. This was part of the Paris Agreement, and it hasn't happened. We had the historical high CO2 emissions last year. So CO2 emissions are increasing. The first step is to reverse this trend, to have immediate action on all fronts, on energy efficiency, on renewables, low-carbon technologies, but also CCS, as I explained before. And then I'm rather hopeful, at least for Europe, that by this mid-century, we can reach net zero and hopefully globally soon after. Meshtil, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much, John. Next time on Net Zero. When consumers start moving, industry will have to move and it makes easier for politicians to move. Thank you for tuning into Net Zero. You can catch new episodes, subscribe, and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts.